What I'm trying to get at here uh, is the work uh, that will be so comprehensive and authoritative that you will not need uh, 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 anything but the Torah Shabbat, the written law, and then this paper in order to know if, uh, halakha, whether it's halakha min or halakha midrabanan. Now, without, before we get into some of the nuances of this statement, uh, what's clear already is that the Rambam, the Rambam's eyes are gazing into the future here. He's talking about what Jews in later generations will need on the shelf. They'll need the written scriptures. They'll also need his book as uh, an authoritative code of uh, the entire oral law. And if his eye is on the future, if he's talking about Jews in different places in different times, He's talking about Am Yisrael, wherever it is, and he has to talk Bilshon Amot. It has to be in Hebrew because anything else is a passing transitory vernacular. He knows very well from the example of Aramaic. So, uh, so clearly Arabic is not even Baba Cheshbon. Aramaic at least is the language of the Talmud. Arabic is the transitory vernacular. He's not even considering it because his eyes are gazing into the future when it comes to this work. This becomes much clearer in a letter that he wrote to his devoted disciple for whom he dedicated a later work, The Guide of the Perplexed, Yosef ben Yehuda. He writes to his Talmud, Yosef ben Yehuda, who is complaining, he writes to the Rambam from Baghdad, complaining that there are Jews in Baghdad who are criticizing the Mishnah Torah, what should I do? So the Rambam says, don't get involved in, in, in quarrels, it's not my style, let them, do, let them say whatever they want. Uh, but then he adds the following postscript in this letter to his beloved disciple, uh, which I tend to take more space uh, value, but again, with the context of the letter. He's writing to his dedicated disciple. And he says to him, Ulam la tid la vo, however in the future, again, his eyes are in the future, uh, when je- petty jealousy ceases and desires, competing desires for authority cease, Yitzhaku called B'nai Yisrael Bolevatov, and all B'nai Yisrael will realize they could use this paper, they could all use it. Below you, Kosim al-Kosif al-Hafamu Vadov Lisafet. They don't need another paper uh, for, uh, for this purpose of understanding uh, the halakhat sukkah. The, um, yeah. Uh, okay, let me finish up this point. I, w- I won't be able to finish everything to say about this. He's going to... Uh, it's a remarkable introduction. The, the next paragraph will let you peer into his um, mind with regard to how he should arrange the entire oral law. Should he follow the Mishnah, not follow the Mishnah in the order of things? Um, he's letting you in on all this. Uh, but let me finish uh, one matter and then uh, and, and, uh, and get to the answer to the question that I keep uh, that I've kept out before you as to why he doesn't talk about the safe on this but until now. Uh, but uh, in any event, uh, I, uh, I alluded before to the fact that criticism of the Rambam, of the Mishnah Torah, um, had several nuances to it. Uh, let's get back to that point right now for just a few moments. There's the Rambam. Uh, okay, say, say the critics of the Rambam. Yeah, the Rivet, writing in the late 12th century, uh, criticized writing a critique of the Mishnah Torah. He says, He says, the Rambam thought he was improving things, but he didn't improve things. Uh, because he forsook the path uh, of traditional codification up to his time. Uh, and, and this, the rise of fields, 
undermine the effectiveness of his power. That's what he's arguing. Because authors codifiers prior to the Rambam would quote you the sources and quote you the rationales and reasons for the law. And this is of great benefit to the person who has to use this code in order to pass in halacha, to know what to do. Why? Because sometimes you'll, you're trying to decide. Should you say something is us or a mutter and you have one possibility, one possible view. And if you knew there was a second view, an alternative view, maybe you'd prefer that one. But the Rambam doesn't give you two views. The Rambam gives you only one view. What he feels is the, the normative decision. He doesn't give you this latitude and this ability to apply it properly. So he feels you're undermining the effectiveness of the cause. That's criticism number one from the, Ram, from the writer. Critique number two comes at the end of the paragraph when he says, He quotes a, a, a phrase that's used in Sefer Daniel, although there in Daniel it's a positive statement. It's used in medieval authors usually in a negative sense. Uh, in, in, uh, what it means is Ruach Yatayra means an overflowing spirit. With regard to Daniel, it means his spirit was overflowing with knowledge and wisdom and, and, uh, and uh, moral uh, uh, nobility, etc. Uh, but the way the Raja is using it here is in terms of an overbearing spirit. A little bit too haughty, one might say. Uh, pretentious. He's saying this is Ruach Yatayra here because what he sees is a yearning for some hood, for authority, um, but, uh, that is beyond what is acceptable uh, in the Raivik's view. One should set out one's, uh, one's uh, own ideas as to what Allah is, set out alternative uh, views or alternate views, but not consider one's own work to be the authoritative last word on the subject. Uh, so there are two critiques inherent in what the Raivik says. One is that the Rambam sort of undermined the effectiveness of his code by using this codificatory form that cut out the whole critical apparatus. And second, uh, that uh, it's, 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 too, uh, protect, it's too, too much of a yearning for authority. Um, the smog in the 13th century, Sefer Mitzvot Gadol, Rav Moshe Mitzvotzi, uh, uh, reiterates the first criticism. He says this is like a halom below Pitaron. The way the Rambam wrote it is like a dream without an interpretation because anybody who tries to use this code will not know how to apply the halacha in a new situation because he doesn't know uh, the rationale for the law and, and what the other possible opinions are and even where the Rambam got it from. The Rambam doesn't tell you that. Um, and the rush, Rabashi Ben Yechiel in the 14th century reiterates both of the right of criticism. He says uh, uh, people who try to decide halakha on the basis of the Rambam's code, toim kohamarim haraz. They err in doing so unless they're absolutely proficient in Gemara to understand where he got each halakha from, where he derived it from. Otherwise they will make mistakes. Because he didn't do, he says, like other machabim, like other authors, who brought the ayot of Abraham who cited uh, rationales and proofs and support for their position. Instead, he says, and here's that second criticism, He wrote his paper as if he was prophesying receiving divine revelation uh, at Sinai. Uh, and that, um, that's uh, similar to Ruach Yatsi Rabbein. So these are the two main critiques of the Rama. But there's a third critique, a third level of critique. Uh, and um, that third level uh, uh, I'm going to leave out that third level for a moment. Uh, I, I think I have that five minutes. Who's the official moderator? I started late. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I told they had an hour. Thanks uh, for another five minutes. Another minutes. Okay, and then questions? questions. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to triage uh, a bit. This, the, what we'll do is, um, 
bring up that third level of criticism, that's a rather radical uh, matter. Let me tell you a story. The, um, uh, this gets us back to our campus, and it has to do with the next, uh, with, the th- with, with the point we just made, uh, the issue of the criticism of the Rambam for leaving out his sources and making it more difficult to use his code effectively, with the Rambam saying, no, precisely when I leave out, you see, what you have here is like an irreconcilable difference. The Rambam will insist from here to tomorrow uh, that this is the pedagogically effective way to convey the Masorah. The best possible way is akin to the way the Toshimah Torah was supposed to be conveyed in, in the most concise way without room for misunderstanding and confusion and tangents and machloka. This is the, this is the way you, uh, you codify the law and transmit the law. And with the others saying, no, this is uh, precisely through the richness of the halakhic debate and all the reasons for the law that one can then better understand and convey the law. There's no way to, uh, to really get a meaning of the mind on this one. And to make this clearer to you, to see how the Rambam will insist on this to the bitter end, I'll tell you this story. It's a story that appears in uh, the letter, uh, a letter that the Rambam wrote to Rav Pinchas Hadayan, that same Rav Pinchas Hadayan who criticized the Rambam for uh, for uh, revolutionizing codificatory form. Th- uh, okay, and let's just get this here. The Rambam, ah, got it. Okay. So the Rambam, in the middle of this long letter, tells the following story. Uh, we'll close with this story and a quick note about why he didn't say anything about space on this question. Those two things. Here's the story. Ah. I'll, um, Translate as I go along uh, from the Hebrew. Uh, the he says a halakhic judge, a Dayan, came to me once. This is the Rambam talking. He tells an anecdote. This judge came to me, the Kuntras Menachiba Biyadon. He had a manuscript of part of the Mishnah Torah in his hand. This was after the Mishnah Torah was completed and people were using it already. And uh, he brought me He brought me a part of my code, the laws of murder, uh, in in uh, the book, uh, one of the fourteen books, the book of Nizikin, the book that deals with torts and damages and criminal uh, behavior. The uh, and he showed me a halacha, one halacha, one law in it, and he said to me, read this. So I read it, says the I said, and I said to him, what's your problem with this? He said to me. Where did you get this from, this halach? And I said to him, then come on, I probably got it where it's likely to be. Because in most cases, um, if it's a law that has to do with murder, it would be probably in the tractate Sanhedrin or tractate Makos, most likely, just as a law regarding Shabbat, would most likely, not always, but most likely be in tractate Shabbat. This is probably in Elohim or Sanhedrin, in one of those tractates. So the fellow says, I went over all of that, it's not there. So the Rambam says, Shema be Yerushalmi. The Rambam says, maybe, maybe it was in the Jerusalem Talmud that I got it from, not the Babylonian Talmud. Which, by the way, is significant. What's significant here is that the Rambam, that's the second choice. The Rambam's second choice after the Babylonian Talmud. The Rambam was noted by other Rishonim as one who used the Jerusalem Talmud more than any other Rishonim, at least in the words of the Maharit, Rabbi Yosef Kalon in the 15th century, more than any other Rishonim. Rambam used the Rishonim. Here, right away, he said, maybe I got it from the Yerushalmi. Uh, Amari said, no, I looked in the Yishami. It's not in the Yishami, it's not in the Tosef, it's not in anywhere. So, uh, the Rambam was taken back and he said, wait a second, I think it was in Tractate Gittin. Gittin. I took out a Tractate Gittin, a manuscript of Gittin, I only had manuscripts then, and I looked, and I couldn't find it, says the Rambam. And now I was really 
uh, upset, uh, confused. Kamati in the coffee, and I said, where, where, where did I get it from? Hecha nemrud vanen. Hanafata, wait until I, uh, until I remember. Uh, in the meantime, he left, and I remembered. I sent a messenger to get him, and uh, when he came, I showed him, there was the halafes to be found in tractate Yivamot. Agav Grara, parenthetically, it was mentioned somewhere in Yivamot. Tamar, the fellow was astounded, the halaf had left. And, but, but listen to Rambam's reaction to this story. He doesn't react as you might expect. He doesn't say, you know, I left out the sources, maybe I should put in the sources. And of course, leaving out the sources was compounded by, by uh, that, the problem of locating those sources was exacerbated and compounded by the fact, which we didn't go into the next paragraph of Dhamma, that he chose to rearrange the whole Torah Shabbat. He didn't follow the sequence of the Mishnah. He had 14 books, which means he's taking halakhas from all over the Torah Shabbat. He's not following the Mishnah. Of course, it's hard to locate the Rambam's sources. So he doesn't react as you might expect him to react saying, you know, I should have done it differently. Maybe the writer was, uh, uh, well, he didn't know the right, but maybe uh, the writer's criticism is right, uh, that uh, I diminished the effectiveness of the code instead of producing one that was more effective. That's not what he said. This is what he said. The uh, came from in the he says, you know, I'm always, I'm always worried about this. Somebody might come and say, where did you get this from? And sometimes I'll tell them right away, and sometimes I won't, uh, until I look for it. And I'm, I'm upset about, disturbed about that. Because I say to myself, You know, I'm the author. And if I don't know where it's from, what is everybody else going to do? I, I'm the author of it. So conclusive of Therefore, I regret. What does he regret? That I did not compose the following, namely, um, uh, uh, here, let me see. I, I, I regret that I did not write a work in which I list all those halakhot that are difficult to find. Halakhot that you'll uh, have trouble locating because they're from some parenthetic comments all over Shasta, not from the likely location. I should have listed all of those in a book, but listen to what he adds to this. He says, He says, that safer but that book, if I ever, if Hashem ever grants me the time to compose it, which he never had the time to compose, it will be an independent book. It will not be part of the Mishnah Torah. Why? Because if I put that in, then it's not a code anymore. If you want this to be an effective code, then it's got to be exactly the way I prepared it. Halakhat Sukkah, without all of this distracting references and source, uh, source reference, etc. So I regret that I didn't write a separate, independent, companion volume, but never could it be part of the Mishnah Torah. This is an irreconcilable difference between Rambam and his critics with regard to the, uh, the optimal uh, form of codification. I just want to add, uh, this is pointed out by Rav Matisyahu Strashen, the son of the Rashash, um, in 19th century Vilna. Matisyahu Strashen, who had an encyclopedic mind and a huge uh, uh, um, library, which he often commented, made marginal uh, notes on his learning, with his uh, bibliographic knowledge, he pointed out that the Rambam in that story did not forget a thing. The Rambam, uh, he, was, he wasn't as forgetful as he thought he was. When he took out that Gitin, he was right on track, because what Rav Shashin did was to go through uh, all of Hilchot Rosea, all of the laws of murder. And indeed, he found one halacha only. It's in Hilchot Rosea, Parakei, Halacha Bet. You can look it up. It, has, it deals with Aray Miklat. Uh, the circumstances under which someone goes to a city of refuge. And oh, that one halakha is found in two places. It's the only halakha like this in Hukat Lasef. It's found, sure enough, 
in Gitin and in Yavama. In those two tractates. So when the Rambam took out a Gitin, he was on the market, just couldn't find it, uh, and then he found it in Yavama. Last point, and I'm leaving out a lot, but I hope I've stimulated your interest in going through the Tatsama, finding out more about it, uh, and letting the Rambam lead you in the in the uh, further direction. But why didn't the Rambam mention Sefer Mitzvah all the time? This is the introduction to the Book of Command. So the answer to that mystery uh, is that, and he gives you the answer toward the end of the Hakdami, I have it in front of you, is that the Rambam never intended to write this book, the Sefer Mitzvah. He didn't, uh, it wasn't in his mind. It was peering into his mind. At this point in time, in the early 1170s, when he completed the commentary on the Mishnah, back in 1168, he only wanted to move ahead to one project, that is the Mishnah Torah, the 14 volumes of that monumental Torah. That's all he wanted to do. However, he informs us later in the Kasama that in order to make sure that this new book was as comprehensive as he set it out to be, that included Kol Bineha Torah, he wanted to write in the introduction to his new Mishnah Torah a checklist. He was just going to produce a list of all 632 commandments to make sure they didn't miss anything, that all rubrics were covered. But when he was working on that checklist, in his plan for this Mishnah Torah, he realized something, he says. And here you see, we conclude with a final personal trait of the Rambam. Uh, he realized that when he comes out with this checklist, nobody's going to read past that list. Why? Because they're all going to reject him as incorrect, as erroneous, because his list will differ with all previous lists. It's going to be different from the Baha'i, the Baha'u'llah, the probably early 9th century, uh, a major work from the Gaunic period, had a list that was considered the authoritative list of the 613 mitzvot min what are considered biblical mitzvot. The Rambam, however, objected to uh, numerous uh, uh, entries on that list and, uh, and, and revised it into his own list. But he felt he was up against a, uh, a stone wall here. Why? Because it's the nature of people's mindset, says the Rambam, that they will not judge, except for the most they least. Uh, when it comes to intellectual integrity, he says, they will not judge a book or an idea by its merits and by its content, by reading it critically, but rather by the way in which it compares to a previous work that was accepted as authoritative. So if it's different from the previous work, they'll automatically dismiss it without even pausing uh, to critically evaluate it. Maybe it's correct. Maybe the criticisms of the previous work are correct. Nobody will look at it, he says, because that's the nature of... Uh, uh, people are, are intellectually conservative that way and reactionary in that way. And uh, therefore, he was left, he says, with no choice but to write a little treatise which he called Sefer HaMitzvot, which he never intended to write. It was a B'diyev in Adel in which he explains why his list is different. And he goes through each one of the mitzvahs and the reason for enumerating it with 14 Shorashim, 14 methodological principles and how to properly enumerate it. He only did it, he said, because otherwise everyone will reject his list and then reject the whole mission automatically because it does not conform with uh, the previous list, and this is uh, how people are. He said uh, people, uh, uh, they assume whatever was written prior must be correct, especially the yellower the pages, he says in his letter on astrology, the more likely they'll assume that it's correct, and, uh, and they'll dismiss whatever he writes. Uh, and therefore, in the end, he wrote the Sefer Mitzvah, but now you know why he spent the whole introduction to Sefer Mitzvah talking about a different book, talking about the Mission Torah, because that's the only book that was really in his mind. The last point on that, the Mavon got a letter later, a letter from... Uh, Sur, a town in uh, a Syrian uh, area, uh, from uh, Jews from that town who had questions about the Sefer HaMitzvah. And he answered them in the process of explaining to them 
Uh, he said, you know, I didn't realize that the Sefer Mishnah has become a big hit. Really, people are using it as a, as a major reference work. He just did it as a, you know, did the Abed. Uh, he wrote this. He didn't have a plan to do it. But this book on how to properly enumerate the 613 commandments, he says he realizes now, has become an important work. And therefore, he says the following words. i finish with these words. Then, uh, but the question is how to interpret them. Vinichanti, uh, he says, Allah shared his Hakkiz Arabic. He says, I now regret that I wrote this book to say from his thought in Arabic. So here, some scholars, in quoting this I've seen in the past, uh, took this to me that I regret writing it in Arabic. Why did I write it in Arabic? Because everybody had to read it, and that was the language that people would understand. I regret writing it uh, in Arabic, which is the language of the time. Uh, now I see that people in another country need to uh, understand it as well. It should be, uh, should be in Hebrew. But based on what we said before, that a work, which is an important work for all generations of Jews, in the eyes of the Rambam, should be, should be in Hebrew, read that line differently. What the Rambam meant was, when the Kanti Alashir Kitatid Baravid, I regret that I wrote it in Arabic. Why do I regret writing it? Not why did I write it in Arabic. Why do I regret writing it? Because, because now we see that everybody will get benefit from it in future generations. And if everybody will benefit from it, then it must be in one language only. And that's in Hebrew. And therefore he said, if Jim grants him the strength, he didn't get to this either, but others did, uh, then uh, it should be indeed translated to Hebrew. We'll meet them yesterday, Sham, uh, next week in Purim. We'll meet two weeks from tonight uh, to put together a little bit of a jigsaw puzzle that is different sources of the Rambam, uh, which together uh, will uh, let us evaluate his attitude toward the relationship between secular study and, pro- and the oral tradition. Thank you for coming to this house. Oh, questions. And I'll wait. You can leave it the afternoon, but I'll also take questions. Billy, uh, do you want to call me? Or should I? Right. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so, Rob, I would have been a lot of the uh, proposed uh, Oscar translation of the Talmud. <laughs> of the Talmud? Yeah, that's what I'm Would he have a positive? Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the Rambam, you know, it's a good question because the Rambam makes it clear, despite the fact that, uh, that uh, despite everything I said about the importance of, uh, of writing in Hebrew so that uh, all generations will understand that's always the language of the truth. Uh, as you know, the Rambam in various uh, places emphasizes content over form. It says the, the bottom line is that people should indeed understand. Uh, so in a given situation, you might say, okay, as long as the content is, uh, is conveyed, you're better off with that. Uh, let me think about that one. I could see him going both ways on that. I, I, can't, I can't see him actually using it, though. but I could see him possibly <laughs> approving it. Okay, you're touching on something. Um, this is a, a bigger subject. It's really what I what I left out before. Uh, I'll just I'll touch on it for a second. Uh, that and that is uh, one of the criticisms of Rambam Ban, which I didn't uh, mention, uh, uh, was uh, from Rapinchas and certain others that uh, it's not just that he was uh, seeking uh, to write an authoritative code. They claim that he was seeking to supersede Talmud study. 
because they read statements like the one we read here, where you won't need any other book except for the Torah Shabbatav and this one. And of course, in the Hakdamah to Mishnah Torah later on, he says, why did I call this book by the name Mishnah Torah? Uh, because you just, someone could read the written Torah and then read this book and they'll know the whole Torah Shabbatav, all of it, and they won't need any other book. So Rapenta is confused and he says, where are you coming from? Are you trying to say that if people read your book, they won't have to study Talmud anymore? That's the end Talmud. And some, some thought he had a hidden, uh, not only, uh, some people not only accused him of that, but thought he had a hidden agenda that uh, by um, obviating the need to study Talmud, then people could study philosophy all the time. So people who opposed the Rambam on philosophic studies felt he was a... But the Rambam, uh, aware of this criticism, says in, the, in that same letter to Rapenta, so everybody should read that letter, he says... Uh, Pastor Khalida Khatishom, he reacts passionately, passionately against this. He says, I never, when did I ever have the thought or ever say that you should burn all other books because of my book? He said, I, 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 he said, when did I ever say don't study Talmud? He said, what am I teaching to my students? He said, students who came to me. And there's a nice little uh, uh, bit of insight there in terms of uh, the Rambam's uh, teaching uh, environment. He talks in that letter about how a certain uh, numbers, uh, small numbers of students will come to him and he teaches some of them risks and he teaches some of them Masachus of Gemara and some of them he teaches some of the Mishnah Torah. He said, I, I never said uh, my book supersedes all other... Uh, so wh- what do you make of those comments? I mean, so why did the Raman say that all you have to do is read the, the Torah of Pas and his book and you know the whole Torah about that? What do you make, what do you make of that? That sounds like he has a good case against the Raman. The answer to that, uh, just in a word, uh, says Tversky, uh, my mentor, uh, so Rafa suggested uh, this, uh, I think he's quite on track with it, uh, that you have to understand the Rambam's um, use of the term Torah Shabbat Peh, when he says, you'll know the whole Torah Shabbat Peh. There's a, there's a line in the Gemara tradition of Aflam that says uh, a person should always divide his day into three, his day of study. A shlish to a third of the day you should study Bible, a third of the day you should study Mishnah, says the Gemara, and a third of the day you should study Gemara, or Talmud. Uh, the Rambam, in codifying that, codifies it in a very different sounding way. He says you should spend a third of your day studying Torah Shabbat written law, a third of your day studying Torah Shabbat oral tradition, oral law. Uh, this is what he says in Hukkot Talmud Torah, and, and it sounds like there's nothing left, right? There's still another third, but there's nothing left. He says a third of your day you should spend figuring out inferences and logical inferences, hermeneutical principles in which the Talmud is, uh, is clarified, how to use deduction and inference, and this is called Talmud. That's what the Murray is. In other words, what the Rambam is getting at that how do you interpret that line in Kedushin when, when it says spend a 30th time on Mishnah a 30th time in Gemara the Rambam interprets it to mean spend a 30th time learning the Torah Shavalpeh that's the term he substitutes for the term Mishnah the whole Torah Shavalpeh in the way of Mishnah in more summary fashion just a normative uh, conclusion and then a 30th time go through the same material the same Torah Shavalpeh but now do it Derech Talmud he's talking he takes like Gemara talking about methodologies of study not about Svarim on the shelf and, uh, and using that, we can now understand uh, why the Rambam was so passionately upset when he heard about this criticism. He said, when did I say I was superseding the Talmud? When I said you should, uh, you'll, uh, I told the uh, book Mishnah Torah because you'll read the Torah Shabbat, the written law, and then you'll read my book and you'll know the whole Torah Shabbat. Well, he means the whole Torah Shabbat, Derech Mishnah. But he, didn't, uh, he never tried to supersede the whole Torah Shabbat, Derech Talmud. So he would be very happy if people were studying uh, Talmud. He was very happy to see when he... When he was in touch with the Jews of Southern France late in his life, he says, uh, "You people don't know philosophy, but you do know how to study Talmud." He was he was quite impressed with the level of uh, Talmud study there. Uh, so indeed, uh, I think he'd, he'd love to see study Talmud. He'd also love to see study of religious philosophy and philosophical tradition. That's another man. Yeah. Line eleven, page one. Okay. 
Yeah, I think he's just using it. Uh, I, I don't think there's a big nafkamina in terms of how you take it, because he's leaving out what, whether he's using it in terms of uh, deriving from the pasuk, or whether he's using the usual sense that's of just linking with it. Did you see? I was very careful. When I said that. I yeah, that's you noticed that. Okay. Yeah, he will cross the that's, that's correct. Uh, but uh, but he doesn't do it as a rule. Uh, okay, there are many exceptions to to the form that he. Uh, and, uh, that's a separate topic. Uh, when he quotes authority, for example, and when he quotes uh, uh, the reason for for a law, and when he quotes the uh, scriptural passage and when he quotes and when he goes on at length rather than being concise. There are reasons in every case. Sometimes it's a polemical reason. Sometimes he's trying to emphasize, uh, you know, all the, he quotes four uh, texts, I believe, in Hukos Pamitara against uh, those who, who accept communal funds to spend all their lives uh, studying. You know, you know that's uh, part of uh, Hukos Pamitara uh, because he wants, because he's so adamant in his position. He wants to emphasize so much that he quotes uh, it's not even certain because it's Mamre Chazam, the mother of him. That's a matter of emphasis. So he will, and sometimes, uh, sometimes the appears as if he's deriving. Okay, I hear it. There are times when he, in a lot of context, he'll quote a person. Certainly in Avelis he does it, and in other. Uh, you know, each one requires. You don't seem to mean yeah. when he says, I'm cutting out pathways when yeah. we get to Avelis. Right. Not Sukim from which a direct, which you get direct. Of the he, um, no, you can't do this. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. We'll talk. Let you sit on a couple of rows behind me. We'll talk about it then. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> After that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. The, the Rambam will just sing it that way. Uh, any other questions? Okay. Uh, okay. Thank you very much, Rabbi Schmidman, for conveying to us the the sense of excitement at uh, how the scrutiny of mere texts opens up a, a whole world of ideas and concerns of nearly a million, millennium ago. Uh, I'm sure the Rambam would have enjoyed hearing his views presented in such a compelling fashion. He would have said it could have been more concise. Right. Is this the text? Yes. Oh, sorry. Can I have a second? 
Was this on or just after decoration? Uh, this is the decoration's present. No, it's not. Oh, but, they, but, but Stanley has taken it. I have to say. Uh, no, I was wrong. I was curious that it was, uh, it was fine. Oh, okay. She's here. She's right there. Very good. Thank you very much. Okay, stop.